Welcome to The Right Side of History, a podcast dedicated to exploring current events through a historical lens and busting left-wing myths about figures and events of America's past. I'm Jared Stepman. And I'm Fred Lucas. And today we're going to have a guest who's going to explain to us exactly how impeachment works as somebody who's been a part of the last impeachment trial of a president in our country's history. Yes, right. He was there on the Senate floor uh, uh, as one of the impeachment managers in President Bill Clinton's uh, Senate trial. And he later wrote a book about it. It's called Catching Our Flag. And we'd encourage our listeners to check that out. It's a great inside account of the Clinton impeachment. And let's go to the interview. We're now joined by Judge James Rogan. Rogan is a California Superior Court judge in Orange County, California. He has served in the California Assembly as well as the U.S. House of Representatives in California's 27th District. He was one of the 13 House managers in the impeachment trial of former President Bill Clinton. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Jared, it's a pleasure to be uh, with you today, and I appreciate the invitation. Well, you're quite welcome. And of course, bringing you on is is very apt at this moment, as many in this country are talking about a, a potential impeachment trial. You have actually uh, participated one in, in the House of Representatives. Uh, first of all, can you explain to us how exactly you became one of the managers of this impeachment trial back in the 90s? Yeah, it was, uh, I can't even say it was dumb luck. It was through tragedy. Uh, when I came back to Washington, I was elected in November 1996, and I came back for uh, freshman orientation. And the Republicans had only held the House for two years uh, after a 40-year Democrat uh, uh, domination of the House. And the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Henry Hyde, uh, invited me over to his office. And it was a great honor to meet him because I was a longtime admirer of Chairman Hyde's. And he tried to recruit me to the judiciary. He said, look, you're a former gang murder prosecutor from the L.A. County DA's office. You're a former judge. You are exactly the kind of guy I want on judiciary. And I told him, Mr. Chairman, I'm flattered. Forget it. There's no way I'm coming on the Judiciary Committee with you. I just got elected with 50.1%. Uh, in a uh, Democrat district that Bob Dole lost by about 20 points, our Republican presidential nominee. And so I'll be with you on all the key uh, votes that I believe in. I'm pro-life and I'm pro-gun, but I'm getting on the Commerce Committee. And uh, I'm not going to be there fighting with Maxine Waters and Barney Frank every day on TV. It's just that's not going to help me back in my Hollywood uh, movie studio-based Southern California, Los Angeles district. So I went on the Commerce Committee. And about every three or four months, Henry would lobby me to get on the Judiciary Committee, and I was getting to the point where I was going to hold up a crucifix or put a cloves of garlic around my neck to keep him away from me. But he finally came up to me toward the end of my first year, and he said, you know, you've got all those Hollywood movie studios in your district. Intellectual property is the lifeblood of your district. I've been doing some research. On the Judiciary Committee, we have the Intellectual Property Subcommittee. That would really be a good thing for you. If I if I can get you on that subcommittee, would you come on Judiciary? And I told him, well, okay, I will do that. And he said, however, we don't have any openings, and we won't have any openings for about a year. And so after uh, you know the elections in a year and we get the new Congress, and if you're still here, uh, I'll have an opening. I'll put you on that committee. Well, about a month or two later, my beloved friend, Sonny Bono, was killed in a skiing accident, January 1998. 
And so I went to Sonny's funeral, and we were very close friends. And Henry sits down next to me in the service, and he starts crying as they're bringing in the casket. And that made me get choked up. And through his tears, Henry's wiping his eyes. He said, you know, Jim, uh, Sonny was on the intellectual property subcommittee. We've got that vacancy now. So remember, we had that conversation. I'm going to recommend you for it. So to make a long story short, just to show you how this worked. I'm giving you these dates for a reason. Sonny was killed on January 5th. On January 9th, I'm at the funeral. On January 11th, Henry sent a letter to uh, Speaker Gingrich asking for a waiver because anybody serving on commerce can't serve on any other committee. Uh, Gingrich approved the waiver, went to a House vote, I think, on uh, January 20th. On January 21st, I got up at 5.30 in the morning to catch a plane to California. I looked at the newspaper on the front page. There was some article about... Clinton having an affair with an intern. <laughs> and so by the time I just, I kind of shrugged and I said, well, no big deal. Uh, by the time I landed in California, the Monica Lewinsky story had exploded all over uh, the worldwide press. Uh, reporters were hounding me because they thought they had put two and two together. Uh, this scandal has broken out and they just put a former gang murder prosecutor on the committee today. And uh, so all these reporters were waiting to uh, uh, hit me at the airport, and I just smiled and said, hey, I'm just here to work on intellectual property, patents, copyrights, trademarks. <laughs> Nobody believed me, but it was just by incredible timing and uh, born of uh, tragedy of uh, the death of Sonny. Otherwise, that whole thing would have bypassed me. Okay. Um, well, uh, one one thing. Uh, speaking of your district, uh, one thing I did want to ask you uh, is that the person leading the uh, current impeachment situation, that is uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, uh, you have a history with him. Uh, you, uh, If you could talk about just the factual history there, uh, I believe the two of you ran against each other three times. Congressman Schiff beat me uh, in 2000 after uh, the Clinton impeachment. Uh, and, and I don't mean this as any reflection against Congressman Schiff, because he's a very tough campaigner, uh, and uh, he beat me fair and square. Uh, but uh, we took a poll in the district right after I'd been reelected in November 1998, and we were about to begin uh, impeachment uh, hearings with Judge Ken Starr testifying. Uh, two weeks after I'd been elected with 50.1%, the poll said, if you vote to impeach Clinton, 75% of high-propensity voters will never vote for you again. And that included high-propensity Republican voters. Clinton was very popular in my district. And uh, although Congressman Schiff was uh, the horse that the Democrats rode to victory, I, you know, they could have probably run Zoot Fenster against me in 2000. I have a poster uh, that I still keep framed in my office from one of the three uh, Byrne Rogan in effigy rallies held in one weekend in my district. I'm looking at it right now. It's been hanging in my office for 21 years. It says, uh, beware of the wrath of the people. It does not forget. And on the back, uh, you know, uh, people unite, denounce Rogan. <laughs> so, uh, impeachment made me, uh, very much of a pariah in the district. Uh, and, uh, although, uh, I didn't lose by 75%, as I told Henry Hyde later with a smile. I Only 60% of the people in my district never voted for me again. So he did beat me for Congress. We had run against each other uh, previously, uh, 
for the state assembly, and uh, I beat him those two races. And uh, uh, I've teased him over the years that we're, I'm still two for one up on him. But then he likes to remind me, yes, that's true. But I'm I'm sure you would uh, trade those two for my one, and uh, he's correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, so getting to the the concept of impeachment, of course, is something that's very much talked about. Right now, I think a lot of Americans, you know, kind of want to know what constitutes why, you know, impeachment. As a former prosecutor, lawmaker, now a judge, uh, can you assess what legally constitutes the kind of vague phrase "high crimes and misdemeanors"? That's a great question. In fact, uh, we struggled with that uh, back in 1998, uh, just as uh, the uh, House uh, struggled with it back in 1868 during the Andrew Johnson impeachment, uh, when the Clinton impeachment occurred. Uh, There had been up until from 1789 until uh, 1998 when we were on the scene. uh, My recollection is there had been about 17 different impeachments. One president, Andrew Johnson, the rest mostly federal judges. I think there were a couple of a few cabinet members uh, thrown in there as well. And uh, as I told people often who kept saying to me, well, you know, you impeached him for lying about an affair, and that's not a high crime and misdemeanor. And, I, and I've been reminding people for over 20 years we didn't impeach him for having an affair. Uh, President Clinton had been caught dead bang uh, committing perjury in a felony civil rights lawsuit uh, filed against him in which he had been ordered uh, to defend himself and had been ordered to answer questions by a federal judge. Uh, he had also suborned felony perjury, and he had dead bang obstructed justice. And these were all things we proved uh, during the impeachment trial. And uh, and here's what here's what my response to people for the last two decades have been. The founders used that phrase, high crimes and misdemeanors. They didn't invent it. That came back from uh, our English common law heritage, uh, treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. The House of Representatives defines what is a high crime and misdemeanor in the constitutional phrase. So it's the precedence of the House. And that was one of the main reasons why I voted to impeach President Clinton, because Yes, the uh, subject matter of his perjury was somewhat tawdry and and uh, not of uh, a major uh, concern like treason or bribery. But here would be the problem. If the House had uh, said to President Clinton and to, in, indeed, America, we're going to d- refuse to impeach Bill Clinton for committing felony perjury, we would have set a standard for every future presidential impeachment that – Perjury, subornation of perjury, and obstruction of justice in a federal proceeding was not an impeachable offense. Yeah, maybe you could prosecute uh, the, the, the president in the future after he or she left office, but we would have set a standard that felony uh, behavior in that uh, concept, in that uh, context, was not an impeachable offense. And as a former judge and prosecutor at the time, that was nothing to which I could ever put my name on. I knew it would cost me my reelection if I voted to impeach Clinton, but I I did what I thought was right. Uh, Went home, uh, spent a year explaining it, uh, fought hard, and uh, accepted the consequences. Um, Yes, sir. uh, On on that same note, uh, and this is a question I I did have, um, and looking back on it that I've had, uh, the Judiciary Committee uh, approved four articles of impeachment against Clinton. Uh, out of those, the full House approved only two of those. Uh, right. 
And um, my my questions, uh, two two questions on that. Uh, one is uh, the House rejected the article on perjury in the Jones case, uh, yet it approved perjury in the federal grand jury case. Um, Democrats, you know, as, as you mentioned, uh, claimed that this was only about an affair. Uh, the Republicans, their core argument was perjury is perjury. Do you think it undermined the the argument that perjury is perjury when the House says uh, we're, we're going to impeach him for this perjury, but not impeach him for the perjury in the civil suit? Well, I don't I don't know what the correct answer to your question is, because, in fact, uh, you may or may not know on the, his in President Clinton's last day in office. Uh, he signed a plea bargain with uh, Special Counsel uh, Ray to avoid being prosecuted, where he admitted everything that uh, we impeached him for. Uh, he paid massive fines. He resigned his law license because the U.S. Supreme Court and the Arkansas Supreme Court was about to disbar him. Uh, and so, you know, I guess that becomes an academic question. I can answer your question politically. Uh, we had a whole bunch of uh, Republicans that had voted yes on one perjury and no on another perjury, including one of uh, my colleagues on the Judiciary Committee who became a House manager. And when I asked a number of, of my colleagues, how come you're voting yes on one and no on the other? Do you think we didn't prove it? They all told me the same thing. Well, no, I know you proved it, but I want to be able to go home and say I voted against something. <laughs> I want to be able to say, well, you see, I didn't vote for all of them. It makes me look more reasonable because I'm in a district with a lot of Democrats. And so it was a total it was a total political drill. Uh, I don't recall anybody coming up to me saying, I believe there was perjury in one instance, and I don't believe it in another. There wasn't a single person who told me that. They all told me they did it because they wanted to be able to say they voted for some but voted against others. Okay, that, I think that answers my question. Impeachment is ultimately a political process. It's a political, yeah. as, as, as Alexander Hamilton said, it's a political decision. Uh, the, the other question on that, and, and this kind of bears on, on the, the situation today, but uh, – the other article that uh, the full house didn't accept was abuse of power. Uh, is that something that is just too broad and too vague? You think? I haven't read uh, the uh, articles of impeachment in 22 years, <laughs> and so I can't tell you off the top of my head uh, the way that was phrased. Uh, if you were to just ask me in a vacuum, is that a vague phrase? The answer is yes. Uh, I don't recall. Uh, what the text of that particular article was. Uh, Ken Starr had presented 11 or 12 uh, potential felonies, as I recall. Uh, we went forward in the committee and passed out four of them. The House uh, selected two. Um, but what was in the actual text, I just can't, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember. So uh, ultimately, and you kind of answered this question before, you, you kind of paid the ultimate, I guess you could say, political price for helping lead this impeachment effort. Do you think it was uh, still think it was ultimately the the right thing to do, the right thing to do at at that time? I thought it was the right thing to do at the time, and I still think it's the right thing to do. I'm always amused. Uh, Twenty years later, people will sometimes ask me if you had to do it all over again, knowing you were going to lose your seat in uh, the Congress, would you have done it? And uh, I just smile. Uh, in fact, if you go back and you look at my closing argument to the Senate uh, in uh, February. Uh, 1999, a year and, uh, what, 10 months or so before uh, my uh, final election campaign, uh, I told the senators, it, it ended up being extemporaneous, I told the story about how I had a prepared closing argument, and then I got ticked off five minutes before uh, I walked onto the Senate floor to deliver one of the last closing arguments, and I 
tossed out three quarters of my prepared speech, and I went out and extemporized. You probably find it on YouTube. Uh, but uh, I went out there and told them, told the senators, uh, look, I spent 30 years of my life dreaming of one thing. Most kids want to play in the World Series. I wanted to be a congressman. Here I am. And in my freshman term, I have to cast a vote. That means I'm probably not coming back. Uh, and I told them, this is what the polls in my district uh, say. I'm not going to come back for this uh, because of this. And uh, and that was my way of expressing to them, this was not some vendetta that Republicans had. I was putting my career on the line uh, because I believed it was the right constitutional obli- it was the constitutional obligation I had. I took an oath uh, to uh, support and defend the Constitution. And if I had uh, gone ahead and uh, taken a dive on that vote just to uh, save myself, then I wouldn't have been any more worthy of office than uh, President Clinton, who abused uh, his constitutional oath of office. I was telling people we needed to impeach President Clinton and remove him from office for violating his oath of office. And for me to have voted no would have been uh, the same violation. I wouldn't have been any more worthy of maintaining my seat than I felt he was. Uh, so I just went, I did what I had to do, and I, I took my medicine 20 years ago, uh, and I've never looked back, and I don't regret it. Yes, I wish I were still there. Uh, I'm sorry that I didn't get to spend uh, decades in Congress. Uh, I think uh, I think I was a pretty good congressman, but uh, ultimately those jobs don't belong to the people that hold them temporarily. They belong to the people who send you. And when you make the people who send you angry, uh, you should expect a one-way ticket home. As far as, and this this is something that bears on any impeachment going forward, is why, why was it still worth it when there was a, almost zero chance of 67 votes in the Senate? Well, we knew there was zero chance. In fact, uh, my, uh, my book that I wrote on impeachment, uh, Catching Our Flag, uh, came out in 2011. Nobody knows about it because the day it was released, 24 hours before it was released, Navy SEALs killed Osama bin Laden. <laughs> And I thought to myself, if Henry Hyde were alive, he'd, he'd be telling me what he used to tell me all the time. Damn that Clinton luck. Um, but uh, I tell uh, the backstory of what went on during all of this and how uh, it was. Uh, everybody was maneuvering behind the scenes from my three or four feet of diary notes. Uh, the interesting thing from when that book did come out from Republicans who read it, uh, they weren't angry at the Democrats. They were angry at the Republicans uh, when they saw that uh, – the way they were uh, moving uh, moving mountains, trying to get us to not impeach him, and then once we did impeach him, to tank the impeachment. Trent Lott, the majority leader, came into a room with me and with our uh, chief counsel on the Judiciary Committee, Dave Shippers, by the way, a Democrat who voted for Clinton in 92 and who was a member of Bobby Kennedy's mafia strike force in the 1960s. Uh, he was he was our chief counsel, uh, chief investigative counsel on the committee, uh, and Trent Lott told both Dave and me, I don't care, we don't care, if you have pictures of Bill Clinton standing over a dead woman with a smoking gun. The polls say they didn't want him impeached. You guys impeached him, and for doing that, you just lost your majority. We've got a majority of Republicans in the Senate. We have 55 Republicans. Seven of my Republicans are up for election in 2000, are in tough races. You guys have just jumped off a cliff. We're not jumping off a cliff. We're going to make this, we're going to put this thing to bed, and you're going to be sorry. Make this go away, because if you don't, if you bring this over to the Senate, you guys are going to be the ones that get the short end on this. Uh, 
And uh, Dave and I, you know, tried to tell him, well, what about your constitutional obligation? He just blew it off. And to this day, I watch Trent Lott giving interviews uh, along with Tom Daschle, the Democratic leader, and they're still patting each other on the back Mm -hmm. for their bipartisan uh, effort to totally tube this uh, trial. Uh, the Senate precluded us. It was a sham trial. I've been calling it a sham trial for 20 years. It wasn't a trial. And Trent Lott told me, he said, it's going to look like a trial. Everybody's going to call it a trial. Uh, it's the only trial I know of in American history where the prosecutors were not allowed by the jury to call a single witness to prove their case. The Senate voted in secret 100 to 0 to prevent the House managers from calling one single live witness to prove their case. It was a sham trial. Uh, I tell the story in the book how I made a motion among the House managers uh, that if Trent Lott pulled this, we should announce we were refusing to proceed until the Senate went back to regular order and let us prove to the American people the reason uh, a Republican-controlled House with five Democrats voted to impeach Bill Clinton. Five Democrats uh, withstood incredible pressure from the White House. And if they refused to do it, we should walk off the Senate floor. All 13 managers agreed with that motion. And then when Trent Lott walked into our room with Rick Santorum and said, this is the way it's going to be. We just voted 100 to zero. You're not calling any witnesses. That's the way it goes. Uh, I renewed my motion. And the only guys that stood with me uh, when it came time to pull the trigger were Bob Barr from Georgia and Chris Cannon from Utah. Uh, everybody else said, well, you know, we got, I guess that's what we have to do. Well, Judge Rogan, thank you so much for your time and explaining how this process works. We, we really appreciate here on the right side of history. It's my pleasure to be with both of you. And uh, I, as I told you before we went on, uh, I have a longstanding uh, relationship with Heritage. Uh, when I was in Congress, uh, in fact, when I spoke at Heritage once, I said, when important votes come up, members of Congress, uh, the conservative Republicans, went back into the cloakroom. And the first question they were asking the people running our cloakroom was, has Heritage weighed in on this yet? Uh, so keep up the great work. Well, that's great. Thank Thanks you so much. much. Thanks, everybody. Thanks to everyone for joining us on The Right Side of History. You can check out our work at Ricochet, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. You can also check out our work at DailySignal.com and my Twitter handle, at Jarrett Stepman, as well as Fred's Twitter handle, at FredLucasWH. Thanks again for joining us.